Hello, my name is Anne-Marie Cannon, and I'm the host of Armchair Historians. What's your favorite history? Each episode begins with this one question. Our guests come from all walks of life. YouTube celebrities, comedians, historians, even neighbors from the small mountain community that I live in. They're people who love history and get really excited about a particular time, place, or person from our distant or not-so-distant past. The jumping-off point is the place where they became curious, then entered the rabbit hole into discovery. Fueled by an unrelenting need to know more, we look at history through the filter of other people's eyes. Armchair Historians is a Belgian Rabbit production. Stay up to date with us through Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Wherever you listen to your podcast, that is where you'll find us. Armchair Historians is an independent, commercial-free podcast. If you'd like to support the show and keep it ad-free, you can buy us a cup of coffee through Ko-fi, or you can become a patron through Patreon. Links to both in the episode notes. Hello, fellow Armchair Historians. This week, I'd like to start out by saying thank you. Thank you to all of our listeners, new and old. It's hard to believe that I've been doing this for over a year. This is our 54th episode since we've started this podcast. At the time of this recording, we've had 7,521 downloads from listeners throughout the world, including 19 countries. From places as far away as Malaysia, Singapore, Greece, Ireland, and Denmark. Not only do we have a diverse, amazing listenership, some of you have even taken the time to leave a review. I'd like to read you two of them today. Here's one from Gabe on iTunes. He says, As a history lover and an armchair lover, I can't quit listening to this podcast. Short and sweet. Thank you, Gabe. And here's one from our friend Alicia over there at Civics and Coffee. She says, History, while filled with facts, data, and events, is infinitely personal. Each moment, each person has a different impact, depending on your own personal experience and exposure to history. And it's this personal touch and discussion that makes Armchair Historians such a wonderful and pleasurable podcast. History is not and should not be relegated to books and professors. It is for everyone, and Armchair Historians searches to highlight each of their guests' personal connection to and love of their favorite history. Each week, you can discover someone's favorite moment of history, through someone who is infinitely passionate about the moment or person they choose to discuss. What could be more fun? I highly recommend everyone check out Armchair Historians and discover the historian within you. Thanks, Alicia. We couldn't agree with you more. Not only do your ratings and review make us feel good over here at Armchair Historians, they also help our ratings and our ability to come up in searches. So my ask to you, fellow armchair historians, is that you take a moment out of your busy week to rate and review armchair historians. You can do this at Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, CastBox, and Podcast Addict. This is the fourth episode of our 2021 Halloween season series. In this episode, Lauren McDonough co-host of Operation History, tells us about the 19th century vampire panic of Rhode Island in the greater New England area. 
Yep, you heard me right. Vampire panic. I don't want to say too much more about this history or I'll give it away, but what I will tell you is that Lauren describes herself as a 20-something cornmiller with a master's in colonial American history. She was one of four co-hosts of the podcast Operation History, a podcast where four history majors come together to discuss, debate, and educate all matters of history. Topics range from the dawn of time to the end of the 20th century and everywhere in between. Lauren McDonough, welcome and thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's so exciting. I know. Thanks for piping in on that Twitter conversation we were having. Oh, no problem. I love spooky things. I do too. I do too. I do ghost tours here in Georgetown, Colorado. Oh, that's it's one of my gigs that I do. That's that's really cool. So I'm going to ask the question and you can tell me about the history. What's your favorite history that we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, so kind of like a quick background, I guess. I'm a colonial New England baby historian since I'm uh, newly graduated. What i focusing on here is going to be some vampires. So it's a little bit later than my usual shtick, but... Rhode Island vampires coming from a school in Rhode Island, it's pretty not well known, but it's one of the many lores of little Rhode Island. What is it? Yeah, so basically in the 19th century, especially in the later 1800s, there was this huge supposed outbreak of vampires, which is, you know, <laughs> in 2021, you kind of say, what? I know. I've never, I've never heard of this. And so I'm very intrigued yeah, by so it. So it's not so much, you know, we think of like Dracula and then like the Twilight series and all of that. These are real people that associated uh, tuberculosis, which they knew as consumption. They thought that the undead were feeding off of the living and consumption was kind of your symptom of that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. It reminds me of Dark Shadows. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Cuz yeah, I used to walk, watch that when I was a kid with my older sister <laughs> and it just has that feel to it, New England and vampires and so tell us about this strange peculiar history. Yeah, so it was especially prominent in Rhode Island and a little bit of Connecticut right on the Rhode Island border. There is evidence of vampire activity or, I guess, more prevention of vampires in every state that's now in New England. Even, I live in Massachusetts. Even in Massachusetts, there were at least one reference to vampires. What are some of the practices that they used to use to protect them, I, I'm assuming, to protect themselves yeah. against becoming victims of the vampire. Yeah, so say, for example, in Plymouth, Massachusetts, there was one instance of a, I believe she was a 16-year-old girl. They just dug her up and flipped her body over because they thought they would not be able to <laughs> rise from the dead if they were facing the wrong way. But another major way that they would get rid of vampires is by exhuming the bodies and if the body seemed to not be decomposing, or if it wasn't decomposing enough for their liking, or if there was still liquid blood, they would 
dig up the body and either burn just the heart or the organs or the whole body or they behead them. Really gruesome, just gross stuff. Oh my goodness. Like, I, you can't see me to my listeners, but I'm making a face <laughs> of like, I, I'm having so many emotions as you're talking yes. about this. It's, it's really sad. Now, did they do anything to the people that had consumption and that they felt were dying from being, I assume, bitten by a vampire? Sometimes. Um, nothing really against those people. But there is one story that I know that actually you said that you found the gravestone of Mercy Brown. She was in Rhode Island. They dug her up because her brother had consumption. And they actually ended up feeding, this is gross, so just a warning, this is gross. They burned her heart and either her liver or her lungs, and they mixed the ashes with either water or medicine, and then they fed it to her brother. Who came up with these ideas? There were, it was so bizarre, not only just because, you know, looking back in time, thinking, no, we know how... Con- how tuberculosis works. We know what happens. We know it's contagious. Of course, her brother got it. Uh, But even back then, there was actually, um, say for the Brown family, there were doctors, that doctor that exhumed the body said, why are we doing this? It's contagious. It's airborne. They knew at that point, really, that the disease had enough of an idea that they didn't have to be doing what they were doing. People think of, you know, Puritan New England and really religious, but, you know, and they were still just saying, this is the way that we're going to do it. Nothing else is working. So let's try this. I have to say I'm a little disappointed because I was hoping there was going to be real vampires. (laughs) Maybe she was. (laughs) There was another vampire actually somewhere in New England. Her name was Nellie Vaughn. And they say that her place, she was also in Rhode Island, actually, now that I think of it. They say that her grave is now haunted and nothing will grow around her crypt. So something's going on there. Maybe she's a real vampire, but (laughs) who knows? I highly doubt it. I highly doubt it. It would make it fun, though. It's surprising. Yeah, it would. Um, this is worse than, in some ways, than the, well, maybe not, the witch trials. It's right along those lines. And you would think by the turn, it's almost the turn of the mm-hmm. century that they would have not engaged in this. Do you know who the ringleader was? There wasn't really, unfortunately, it'd be really easy just to point fingers Like, say, like you were saying in the witch trials, say, those girls or the judges. Uh, But in this case, it was really just a lot of just desperate people. Uh, For, there was one doctor, first name Moses, his last name escapes me. But he would go around kind of saying, this is how we get rid of consumption. Because at that point, consumption and vampires were one and the same. Uh, and would go around saying, you have to exhume the body, and if there's fresh blood, then it's a vampire. And he was a doctor. Yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. That is insane. So what else do we need to know about this history? I mean, like you said, it was the turn of the century. A lot of people would think of this stuff being uh, 
like 1692 being 400 years ago really wasn't that far away. There is an excellent book by, which I think this is the coolest job. He studies vampires in the United States, which I think is so cool. His name's uh, Dr. Michael Bell. And he actually interviewed one of the descendants of the that Brown family in Rhode Island. So there are still people around that have first or secondhand accounts of what was going on. It really wasn't that long ago. So he wrote a book. He wrote a book about like real vampires? Yeah, so he it's called um Food for the Dead on the Trail of New England's Vampires. Okay. If anyone out there is really interested I, in all this stuff, it's fascinating. The title is actually from the Old Colony newspaper in 1822 in Plymouth, Massachusetts. His lifeblood who bent there had nursed her. The f- living was food for the dead. Is it written from the perspective of this guy really believes in vampires? Not really. You can tell that he's he's kind of like a folklore, so he really does buy into oh, it. Okay. While <laughs> kind of like if you believe in ghosts, you buy into it, but you have to have that veil of I'm a historian. <laughs> I'm a professional, okay. but God, I hope that this is true. So yeah, it's he goes through a lot of just different people that said different things and interviews that he had in the history. And it really kind of makes you think, we know it's not real, but what if it was? Make life a little bit more interesting. (laughs) We have enough going on these days, but... (laughs) Yeah, we have enough people who believe in things that are absolutely not true. But... But Having said that, I, I do believe in ghosts. Oh, I believe in ghosts, so that's fine. <laughs> but vampires is a stretch. Vampires for me. is a stretch. A, yeah. Yeah, I have a friend uh, who does Bigfoot conferences Uh-oh. and he really believes in it. And I and, and I just have to listen to him like without an opinion because he's so enthusiastic about it. I don't know. Yeah, it, it Reminds me of just, you know, like, I want to believe. Like, I want to believe that's out there in vampires, but I guess I'll just stick to my ghosts. <laughs> I don't think I would want vampires to be out of there. I've read enough novels about them that... I guess I wouldn't want them near me. <laughs> I'd like to... <laughs> or else you would have immortality. Right. right? And so maybe it wouldn't be so bad to be one. That's true. To you start things starting to rhyme from the past and say, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to tell us about this history before we talk about where we can find you and what you do? If anyone is interested in this stuff, I guess a self plug. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm part of Operation History and we did a spooky New England episode last October And we actually, I believe one of my uh, cohorts, Maria, actually did cover the Mercy Brown case. So if anyone wants more information. But I would also recommend Food for the Dead. And there is a podcast out there called And That's Why We Drink, which I love the title. Yeah, and they actually did an episode where they talk about Mercy Brown. Ironically, I was, I was listening to it on the way home from work. I'll link out to all of those. Food for the Dead. That's why we drink. They had an episode about Mercy yep. Brown. And you guys did a, was it called a spooky Yeah, episode? spooky New England. 
So are you guys going to do another Halloween edition? Next month, I believe we want to cover the Hungarian Revolution. So we are... Oh, is, does that involve vampires? I wish. <laughs> uh, we had a professor in school who was a expert in the Hungarian Revolution, so we're trying to twist his arm into talking with us. Oh, being a good... So do you do a monthly podcast? We do. So every month... Um, so there's four oh, okay. of us. So it's myself, yeah. Maria, David, and Derek. We're all friends from school. And we, every month, somebody picks a topic, and it's from four completely different perspectives. So we've done the Banana Republics, we've done the First Thanksgiving, we've done the Christmas Truce, we've done Earth Day. So we really jump around and do anything that you can think of. <laughs> and you, and so you started, I was just reading, you started your podcast in August of yeah, last year? Yeah, we did, year. yeah. We just did our one-year anniversary thing. Oh, that was just released yeah. today because I was listening to it. Oh, yeah. It. It's okay. a bit silly. Yeah. Uh, we're a silly group, but the po- the bloopers at the end, after the end credits, are always the best. Oh, how yeah. fun. Oh, bloopers. boy, yeah. You can hear how long it takes for four people to get settled. It's like herding cats. <laughs> so w- what's the name of your podcast? So we are Operation History. We're available wherever you- Stitcher, uh, Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts. We're on Twitter. Um, just Operation Hist, Operation H I S T, because Twitter didn't let us have all the characters. <laughs> so we're always hanging around there too. And that's where I found you. I found you on Twitter. Yes, I've gotten a lot of interviews from Twitter. Yeah, we um, Twitter is a great place to connect with people. I didn't realize how many history podcasts and history listeners are out there. Right. You were talking about uh, civics and coffee on one of the episodes I was listening to. I think it was the one, your anniversary, maybe? Yeah, she's fabulous, um, Alicia. We're hoping to collaborate with her in a few months once our lives get a little bit uh, less school crazy and work crazy. So you're in school and work at the same time right <laughs> so, now? So uh, my cohorts, they are all in grad school. I just graduated. I work full time. And they all either work full-time or work part-time. So I'm down in Massachusetts. I work in Plymouth. Oh, how fun. So, yeah, getting back to Alicia. I interviewed her last year. She came on and talked about the shirtwaist factory. Yeah, she's – that's a fascinating topic. I remember it was, like, in my undergrad. We had to write a paper on it. It was just so interesting because you don't really learn about that kind of stuff. And I feel like maybe – we should. Right. Yeah, it was an important moment yeah. in history, that's for sure. Absolutely. We love civics and coffee yes. over here. Is there anything else that we need to know about your podcast, about this history? I don't think so. I mean, if anyone has any questions, they're free to tweet me. All I do is talk on Twitter. So I'm the one that is behind the, the Twitter Oh, okay. So you yeah. do the Twitter. Did you? Did I read somewhere that you work in a uh, museum? Yes. So I work in a museum down in Plymouth. I am a corn miller. <laughs> a so corn I take miller. maize corn, so dried corn, and literally we grind it into cornmeal and we sell it. So we're part of a larger first-person uh, living history museum. So you can go and visit the 
uh, Plymouth Patuxent Museums. Patuxent is the Wampanoag word for what now is Plymouth, Massachusetts. Uh, formerly known as Plymouth okay. Plantation. We have like a Mayflower 2, which is replica of the ship. We have a corn mill, which is just cute and fun and really dusty, but that's okay. We love corn puns. I actually worked in one museum. I, I love history. I'm a history geek and anything I can... I like the history of anything. It can, you know, if it's compelling, if you tell it in a compelling way, I love yeah, it. Yeah, as long as it tells a good story, I'm usually down for anything. <laughs> Do you ever listen to Fresh Air with Terry Gross? I don't. I'll have to. So she did an episode. She interviewed a guy about banana blights. And can I tell you, it was so, it was told so well that it was fascinating. So I, like I said, you can take any kind of history and make it into a good story, I think. Oh, I talk about corn for 40 hours a week. You can make anything interesting if you really try. <laughs> so that's your full-time job is working at the, yeah, um, yep. the corn factory? Yeah, so I've been there for three years. We use... 200-year-old stones to grind up corn. The coolest thing at a, like, dinner party of, where do you work? What do you do? What is your ideal job? Like, what do you see yourself doing now that you have your, is it your master's degree or PhD? Yeah, so it's a master's. Um, right now, I'm just happy to not be in school for the first time since I was, like, five. <laughs> so pushing the brakes on maybe a PhD for now. But right now, I am just... Milling some corn. I have an education degree, so I could do that if I wanted to. Right now, I'm just kind of using working at a colonial history museum to just bulk up my knowledge and see what I want to do from there. Yeah. And go vampire hunting, I guess. Well, <laughs> yeah, right. Definitely. Well, I really enjoyed talking to you, Lauren. Yeah. And thank you for making yourself available to tell us this peculiar history in the United States. I'll definitely do some more research. Yeah, it's a fascinating, weird, upside down story that I feel like everyone, if you need to, if you feel like you're having a rough day, at least, you know, you're not drinking ashes, you know. <laughs> Water down, down ashes. ashes. Exactly. So, did it save his life? Did he live? He died two months later, so no. <laughs> it wasn't oh, worth it. <laughs> no, it didn't work. All right, well, that's good yeah. to know. All right, Lauren, well, I'll see you on Twitter, yeah. and thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was great. Well, there you have it, the Vampire Panic of Rhode Island. Let us know what you think about the Vampire Panic of Rhode Island by joining the discussion on social media. For more information about Lauren and Operation History, be sure to check out our episode notes. Thanks for joining us. Have a great week.